Well, now we're going to pray. And this morning our prayers will be informed by 2 Kings 11, which is simply the first part of our reading. We'll read that now, and then we'll read the later part in a moment as our main reading. And it says this. Now when Atalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Atalia, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her for six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Atalia reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of Caritis and of the guards, and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them, and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, this is the, king that you shall, uh, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and, and guard the king's house. Another third, being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you, which come on duty, enforce on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, round the altar, and the house on the behalf on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son, and put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king, and anointed him, and they clapped their hands, and said, Long live the king. When Italia heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Italia tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out, between the ranks, and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people. They should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces 
and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the king's. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Atalia had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Well, we pick up our Bible reading at, well, actually, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 21. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Bathsheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Joash said to the priests, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessments of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests had made no repairs on the house. Therefore King Joash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bagged and counted the money uh, that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and the stonecutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord, and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. But they were not made for the house of the Lord, basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. For that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. And they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord, it belonged to the priests. At that time, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Haziel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his father, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, 
and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent those to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and the, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo, on the way that goes down to Silla. It was Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shoma, his servants, who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his father in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Well, in a minute, we're going to have a look at that passage. Before we do, there's a few things to mention. The first, you already know, there's going to be question time uh, at the end. So obviously, do think about what questions you might like to ask. The second, you know what's coming. It's the sermon outline, which you can use and abuse at your own will. And finally, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to spend time reflecting on the kings of Israel and Judah. We thank you that we have these things recorded for our good, that we might, might remember your faithfulness through the faithlessness of your people. Amen. Now have a look back at 2 Kings, chapter 8, verse 25. 2 Kings, chapter 8, verse 25. It says this. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Atalia. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He, referring back to Ahazah, also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So here is what we have here. Ahaziah is the king of Judah. But he's also the son-in-law to the house of Ahab. Which is a little worrying. The king of Judah, who is the descendant of David, his mother, Atalia, is granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And so the reason this is all worrying is because Ahab was a bad king. And Ahab's line is destined to be destroyed. In fact, by the time we get to 2 Kings 11, his line has been destroyed. 
But now Ahab is an influence upon the line of Judah. So much so that as we read in 8 verse 27... Ahaziah also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. This means that when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, is evaluated, he isn't being evaluated against the line of David. It's against the line of Ahab, the line that comes from Israel. What is also worrying is Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and within a year, he's dead. And there's something missing in this passage. On every other occasion, the death of a king, of, whether that be of Judah or of Israel, would quickly be followed by a replacement. His son would promptly replace him. But Ahaziah has died in his early 20s. And you start to think, did he have a son? And why is the text silent on this? And we're probably also thinking, what has happened to the promise we read of back in 2 Kings 8, verse 19? Which says, yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Well, we begin to get some clarification around this confusion when we come to 2 Kings 11. Ahaziah has been shot by Jehu. This is the one who has now become the king of Israel, having killed Joram. And in killing Joram, he has ended the line of Ahab, according to the will of the Lord, as Elijah had said. When Atalia, who is Ahaziah's mother, discovers that he's dead... She kills all the royal family, including the king's sons. Why? Well, because she wants to become queen of Judah. However, there is one exception. Jehoshaphat took Joash, who was a son of Ahaziah, and hid him for six years in the temple of the Lord. So the line of David has survived for now, saved by the action of Jehoshaphat, survived in a young child. 
And when the time came, Jehoiada, who was the priest, he made all the arrangements necessary for Joash to be made king. He was crowned, there were celebrations, and upon hearing the commotion, Atalia came to hear what the noise was all about, and she was abruptly killed. The kingdom of Judah has been returned to the line of David. And with the return of Judah to the line of David, it appears to be a high point in a particularly low point of Judah's history. Or is it? 2 Kings 11 verse 17 records how a covenant was made between the Lord and the king and the people. Verse 18 records how the house of Baal was destroyed, as were the altars and the priest of Baal was killed. After an initial shaky start, all seems to be going quite well. All bodes well for the people of Judah. And this is confirmed by the start of 2 Kings 12. Seven-year-old Johash does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. As he's instructed by the priest Jehoiada, the only qualification is made that he fails to take the high places down. And so, despite the covenant made back in 11 verse 17, the people are still making offerings on the high places. Now we come to the main focus of Joash's reign. It's probably worth mentioning just briefly. Notice there's two spellings going on here in chapter 11. We tend to have Joash and chapter 12 we have Jehoash. But ultimately it refers to the same person. So Joash sets out to repair the temple. Given that is what he will be known for, it's hard not to compare him to Solomon. Solomon was David's son, and it fell to him to build the temple. The reason being, David lived in a time of war, whereas Solomon lived in a time of peace. In fact, there were peace on all sides. And this peace meant that it was an appropriateness to Solomon building the temple of the Lord. And so Solomon is a high point in Israel's history, may be even the single high point in Israel's history. And a lot's happened now since Solomon's reign. The kingdom of Israel has been split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel which has turned away from the Lord, and the southern kingdom of Judah, that's only marginally better. And the further the kings move away from the reign of Solomon, the worse the decline becomes. No doubt during the decline of the southern kingdom, the temple of the Lord has been neglected and is in need of some extensive repair. 
So Joash speaks to the priests. They're to raise the money to repair the house of the Lord, and then they're to use the money to repair the house of the Lord. 23 years pass, and still no repairs have been made. No comments made. But you can't help noticing the fact that 23 years is a long time. It's a long time to have passed before Joash either hears or notices that none of the repairs he has asked for have begun. We don't know what, but something's not quite right here. Solomon would have noticed if his temple had not been built, probably after a year, never mind a decade. Two decades? Why hadn't Joash spotted it? Well, we're not told. Nevertheless, when he does, he speaks to the priests and he tells them they're not to take any more money. What they already have will be given to others so that they can repair the temple and then work of repairing the temple will be not be left to the priests. This system works much better to the extent that those who have supervised uh, were so trustworthy, no accounting was made. And we assume the repairs happen. Then we come to verses 17 to 18 of chapter 12 which is starkly matter of fact. Let me just read it again. At that time, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Haziel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahazaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent those to Haziel, king of Syria. Then Haziel went away from Jerusalem. Haziel, the, uh, the king of Syria, is about to attack. Joash gives him all the sacred gifts from the temple, so he would leave them alone. And it worked. Haziel left him alone. Once again, there's no evaluation given by the narrator. There's no preferable approach suggested. There's no reference made back to David, who stood before Goliath with a sling as he called out, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Victory against Haziel isn't even attempted, the possibility isn't even allowed. Whatever needs to be done to placate Haziel is done at whatever expense. And once he's placated, the account moves on. And the next account of Joash's death is just as abrupt. His own people conspired against him. They struck him down. He was dead and then buried. 
There's no reason given why his people conspire against him. No explanation for why they wanted him dead. For some reason, none of this is important to the author of two kings. It's recorded very simplistically, almost as if, well, that's just how it happened. Now, if you wanted to know the details of the account of Joash, if you wanted to know more about the priest who saved Joash and what happened to him and his family, if you wanted to know the reason why the people rise up against Joash, what Joash did to deserve such a response, you can find out the answer to all of this because it's all recorded in 2 Chronicles 22 to 24. But this morning, I'm going to be quite disciplined. Because this morning, we're not in 2 Chronicles 22 to 24, we're in 2 Kings 11 to 12. If we look at 2 Chronicles, you'll end up hearing a sermon about 2 Chronicles, and not a sermon about 2 Kings. If we rush to 2 Chronicles, we're going to miss something. Because when the author of two kings wrote these two chapters, he chose some information to put in and he chose some information to leave out because he wanted to make a point. And the point this author wanted to make is quite different to the point the author of two chronicles wanted to make. Hence, why they include or leave out different details. So by refraining from the temptation to look at two chronicles, we force ourselves to look at work a little harder and understand why 2 Kings 11 to 12 is left as it is. Here is a possible answer that will start us off. Could it be that the significance of Joash is less to do with what he did and what he didn't do. It's less to do with what he got right and what he got wrong. It isn't so much to do with his handling over the treasures of the temple to his enemy and the reason why his subjects turned against him. Rather, the significance of Joash is... That he was. Joash's grandmother had killed all the king's sons. It was only because Jehoshaphat that the baby Joash was hidden. It was only thanks to Jehoiada that Joash was kept in the temple until he was seven. Had Atalia discovered his presence, he would have been killed and the Davidic line would have died along with the promise God made to David. That he was faithful throughout his life, that he had the confidence or didn't of David when faced with an opposing nation, isn't important. 
His role is simply to continue the Davidic dynasty when that looked unlikely. Whether he is good or bad is not important. What is important is God had promised to give a lamp to David and his sons forever. And it's in this promise of God that all hope is found. So, Joash's presence in two kings is wonderful news. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the promises that you've made and particularly this promise that you have made that you will keep a lamp for David and his sons forever. And as we reflect upon this king, Joash, who failed or only slowly repaired the temple, who gave all your sacred gifts to Hazael, and who was conspired and killed by his own people, we reflect on these things and see you keeping your promise to David. A promise that would lead to the coming of your son from the line of David, who would bring about our redemption and our salvation. Amen. Any questions or comments? There's a lot of Ahaziahs, Atalias, Joashes, Jehoiadas and Jehoshabas. So I hope it all made sense. Yes, and it, I mean, it's, it is quite interesting confining ourselves to 2 Kings 11 to 12 because the commentators don't. So they kept rushing to 2 Chronicles 22 and 24. So they kept finding information. I was thinking, where are they getting this information from? I can't find it. If you do don't go to 2 Chronicles 22 to 24, what you find out is that he, is, he starts off good because of his instruction by Jehoiada. So basically Jehoiada is leading him in the good ways. But then Jehoiada dies, at which point he takes some advice from some friends who turn him away from the Lord. So this is why it all goes wrong. Jehoiada's son, who I think is called Zechariah from memory, he arrives and says to him, you need to repent of this. And he kills Zechariah. So you think in terms of Jehoiada is the man who saved him at birth, uh, anointed him as king, and he repays him by killing his son. And so that's why the people conspire against him and kill him. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting exercise confining yourself to this passage because there's a lot of information left out but I think almost it's interesting then seeing what's been left out 
Because then you sort of think, okay, there's why has that all been left out? And I think that's when it, it makes you think that for the author of Two Kings, that's not where the importance of the story comes. I think precisely as you're saying, this is less about Joash and more about God's plan. And that he's he's continuing that Davidic line. But I think you're right. It, as left left without the other information, it feels like a good king's life's been cut short. Yeah, early. Which again, you know, if you go to uh, the likes of Ecclesiastes and elsewhere, I mean, even we haven't got to Josiah yet, but Josiah's uh, downfall, I always think, is quite shocking given the reforms that he brings in. Any other questions or comments? Yeah, very good spot. So um, just to repeat for the recording and for everyone else if you didn't hear, Atalia is kind of parallels with Jezebel. You've got Jezebel and Ahab who are a bit of a team um, and Jezebel's a very wicked woman, but Talia's taking on that role as she kills the king's sons. And and again, I guess you've got this, on the one hand you've got Israel, which is the northern kingdom, which is very evil, but then that evil seems to be now appearing in the southern kingdom as well, a similar sort of strain of evil, which I guess makes us begin to anticipate where this is all heading. Excellent. If there aren't any more questions, we can leave it there. Or comments, rather. Um, okay, we're going to pick, we're going to um, sing before the throne of God. And then we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper together.